Hey, people, what's up? This portion or this episode of the podcast is brought to you by Beach Volleyball National Events. BVNE is the biggest get notice showcase in the United States of America. Um, we have as many as 20, 20 to 25 recruiters, including this guy on my right sometimes, comes and looks at the kids. Um, Beach Volleyball National Events, come play with us. It's also brought to you by NY Varsity Sports. That's me. That's me, the NYV. Watching me. Watching you. Got a treat for you guys. It's Jeff Alzino. It's episode 49, and the episode starts right now. Hey, what's good, people? This is episode 49. You ask and you shall receive, because for me, I've got to give the people, I'll give the people what they want. It is the man. It is the coach at all levels is what his new title is. He is the James Brown of volleyball, the hardest working man in America, Jeff Alzino. <laughs> Why do I call you the James Brown of volleyball? You're like, that's just a stupid introduction. <laughs> How you doing? All good, man. Got to put in a lot of hours. Yeah, I call you that because in my mind, I have this vision of James Brown in a studio and like people wanting to go home and he's like, where, where are you going? No, no, what? Home? <laughs> no, you. this is your home. We are not leaving until you get this right. We are not leaving until you get this right. That's you. That's how I feel about you. Cool. So coming off a pretty fun weekend, right? The AVP, the Porsche Cup. Um, great. Por great three weeks. Yeah, man. I, um, I'm sure you've heard it, and you're not one to toot your own horn, so I got a little bit of tooting for you to do. Um, there have been some high praises, high praises and marks on just the color commentary team highlighting um, you and uh, Matty Bishop, who a lot of people didn't know. Um, I, I didn't know him, but he's, he was very, very good. I, um, some people are very careful to give you compliments and at the same time make it not sound like a slap in the face to everybody else because people are sensitive like that, you know. But um, going in. My, I guess my question is going in, was it just a level of comfortability because you knew everybody anyway, right? You coached Taylor, you coached Trevor, you know, you've done work with everybody. You coached Miles and Marcus in, into the draw on uh, um, 2017. So was it just business as usual coming in? Yeah, I'd done a lot of announcing before for the AVP as well as a couple other tours. And um, I had talked to Josh Glazebrook a little bit uh, last year about doing some work with Amazon this year. He had really been planning in advance to create some outer court coverage, uh, even when they had the full tour going. And so when it was just going to be remote work for three weeks, um, it was kind of a no brainer for me. You know, I've been working with AVP since 2009, actually off and on doing some announcing, but this was a really great opportunity with Amazon prime. And um, yeah, it, it, it's, I don't want to say it's easy for me. I still have to do a lot of homework, create a lot of notes, and I treat it professionally. But yeah, having worked with probably, you know, 50%, maybe two thirds of the players that are out there still playing, um, I can speak pretty freely and comfortably about all of them. Yeah, just you just come in. And me, I kind of feel the same way. Like, um, if you remember Vegas last year, I think you were uh, in Vegas with um, Dax and whatever and the crew and just doing their thing. And me, that was an audition. Like I, they gave me court five, let me use my own equipment, whatever. And then later on, I got to call all of Pepperdine's home games 
um, with uh, Mike, Tim Hav, Travis, of course. You know, Travis is someone that's, nice. that's he's, uh, he's got some gift of gab, but he's he's a better writer than he is a talker. That's just, <laughs> that, wherever you are, that's just being real, you know, since I'm, I, you know, I'm being honest he's about people. He's a very gifted writer. Isn't he? He just, talk about breathing life <laughs> into, into writing about the sport of volleyball. Man, I got to give that guy his props, so. Um, how's working with Matty Bishop? You guys, I mean, he's he's a good setup, man. I I know you you can do play by play, and I know you can do color. Um, so I'm not here to tell you what your wheelhouse is, but I can tell you, as a longtime coach and player, I, I would definitely want you to do color and breakdown. How is Matty Bishop? How was uh just the fun bouncing back and forth with you guys? It was great. I had only briefly met Matty once before in my life at uh, the AVP up in Seattle a couple of years back, uh, Rich Lamborn and I were calling uh, a lot of the men's games. And so we would take a break on center court and they'd switch it to women's. Some guy popped up and said, Hey, yeah, I'm going to work the women's games. And uh, I was like, Hey, how are you? And so I, I met him there, but just very, very briefly, we never like hung out there or anything. And, um, yeah, but I remember when they said, hey, you're going to be doing some games with Matty Bishop. It was I was originally scheduled to do them alone, and he was going to do them alone. Oh. And after the first weekend, the Monster Hydro Cup, I started thinking, maybe we should go together. And I hadn't quite yet um, presented that mm -hmm. to Amazon or the AVP yet, and they sent an email that night saying, would you guys like to sample a couple going back and forth together? Yeah. And uh, I was just right away immediately all for it. I, I thought that his – strength for sure was introing the matches and describing where the match was and where the tournament was and all the protocol and then covering a certain amount of play-by-play -play. and he did he did a fantastic job of just kind of like dropping it to me setting me up for what did you see there why did that happen or what are these guys trying to do what are the key points and it put me into Mo i would call that it mode yeah the mode right just just psh, autopilot yeah yeah Yep. analyze the game on the whys people are doing things, why or why not they're doing things. And mm -hmm. if it, I believed if it was a mistake or an advantage for them. So it bounced back and forth really, really well. Um, certainly by the end, by the last weekend, we decided, hey, we want to do as many matches together as possible, not just uh, every other one. And uh, yeah, it was, it was awesome. Maddie set me up great. We've had some great conversations about it since. And like you said, we got, I was overwhelmed and really just uh, humbled by how much great feedback we got in describing the game that way. Yeah. Well, my dream team is me and Rob Espero. <laughs> Dude, I'm, a, I'm, I'm, I'm what you call an inter interchangeable. I can do play and I can do color. I've been doing it long before I moved to California, you know, for the uh, City University Championships. Yeah. Uh, for the CUNYs. Um, if you ever watch them now, Patrick Dietz, he, he's the color guy now. He is... He's a, Jeff, he's a savage. He's a savage. You got to listen to this dude do one set and his, just his voice and his command and his ability to see the future one or two plays ahead, which is what a lot of people are saying about you. Um, nice. but, but I mean, some, some would call it on the smaller scale, but if you give, if you give me and Rob, Rob, you give me and Rob a spare to stage, we, we go from small scale though to where, to who are these guys, but, um, <laughs> mad, mad praise to you and you, just your execution and, and just, um, helping people understand, you know, because when people are watching Amazon, people, you got a lot of indoor players, right? 
they they the logistics of the beach and they understand some okay we understand first hit uh you we are trying to generate the people interested people that don't play the sport so you want to be an old school shakespearean actor where you use operative words that help them understand but at the same time don't make them feel like an asshole you, um, <laughs> right i mean you, you i mean i'll give you an example young shakespearean actor right the rascal hath removed my horse and tied him i know not where it's too much don't make him know. he's he's not an asshole <laughs> or you can say the rascal hath removed my horse and tied him i know not where yeah no one gave us a lot of direction on exactly how to analyze the game or where to go with it um they just said you know the guys in the truck hey we, we like what you guys are doing and they tell us like shorten something or lengthen something or more detail here and there but um, I just kind of took it upon myself to basically describe what I see in the full action of what I'm seeing, but in basic terms right. and to introduce a little bit of some of the defenses that we saw. Mm -hmm. And uh, I've listened a lot to the other people who have announced for beach volleyball. And I try and borrow a little bit of understanding the level of what the audience is. Right. And like you said, there's a lot of indoor people watching. There's a lot of beach people watching. And there's a lot of parents watching with their kids who might be playing in juniors or a club or a college and things like that. And uh, so, yeah, I, I think just bringing them a little bit of strategic knowledge on the why people are doing things and and what that creates for them. I don't know. That, that's what we heard the most that people enjoyed was just a little little bit of description of maybe slightly next level um, strategy that was going on. Yeah, I, I, it just makes people want to work harder, uh, Jeff. <laughs> you, you know, I mean, you can, I mean, you see so many games at so many levels where there's a feeling out process because they, they're not doing their homework. And, and I mean, comment, listen, call it a breakdown like that makes players be like, I got to, you know what, I'm in a video room and I'm, I'm watching this on a, on a, an, a um, uh, not a completely different way, but I'm like, I got to add this and add this next time I watch the video. Otherwise I'm wasting a lot of time, not all of my time. Um, and I appreciate that about you. And John, John Mayer, when I was with him at LMU, there were there weren't two more fun people to work with than, than him and Aaron Mansfield. You know, Aaron yeah. Mansfield's a, a plug. A lot of people don't know he's the head coach of the women's team for LMU. And a, you One talk about a savage, savage. <laughs> I call you a savage. He's a savage. So. For me personally, before I, get, I move on to the next thing, I want to take this time because I've been critical to some people uh, 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 for their play-by-play -play and their color commentary. I've been critical to some people about where I think they should have prepared better. And I would like to take this time to apologize to absolutely no one. <laughs> okay? Absolutely no one. Guys, I attack volleyball players with volleyball. It is fair game. Didn't say anything about your mother. Didn't say anything about Jeff Alzina's uh, beard. I mean, this dude looks like a, a a jacked up Yoda right now. He looks handsome. Okay, <laughs> control, control. You must learn control. But I do want to apologize to Jake Gibb before we move on to whatever. I was complimenting him on his nutrition, his conditioning, which, you, I mean, right, he, he redefines 43-year-olds if you look at the way he takes care of himself. But I did poke fun saying he has a 50-year-old face. Now, that's out of bounds. Uh, that's out of bounds and some people take that personally so if he knew I was just poking fun cool but if he didn't that that's the one person I'm gonna say hey I was out of bounds I might have been out of line I'm sorry about that I was just having fun but it was but it all came from a friendly place because it was highly complimentary about the way this guy 
has a 20 year old body for Christ's sakes, you know, look at Jay. He's better shape every year and stronger, leaner, faster, stronger. He's, he's definitely taking care of himself. And he knows I'm messing with him. Cause for me, round is the shape. I'm in shape. Don't you, Jeff, you ain't going to tell me I ain't in shape. I'm round. That's the shape. <laughs> so <laughs> he's like, you got it, Jay. A <laughs> uh, fun question. I asked Dane this question and, um, and at the risk of repeating myself and I, I um, I, I'm forced to ask it or I feel like I'm not doing my job. When this whole COVID thing came down, where were you and your team when the conference shut down? When you got the call of the text saying we're, 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 we're shutting this down. It was, uh, it was on my birthday. <laughs> it was on Friday, March 18th, which was my birthday. And uh, we had gotten a pretty good message the night before that it wasn't going to happen. And so we had to just go meet with the team. And it was it was a real bummer because this was a watershed season for us. You know, I was hired last year at Santa Clara only one week before season started. And so not even enough time for a cup of coffee. Yeah, go ahead. I mean, we had I think we had three practices before I started last year and it was all indoor players, some of them who had almost never played any beach before. So it was really just trying to almost get through last season. And this year we had three beach only athletes and a lot more interest from players who were playing indoor that really wanted to play. And um, we were looking really good. I think we were headed towards our first uh, double-digit win season, which would have been great for this program, basically coming out of nowhere. Um, So we had a really, really nice schedule. I thought we had a good chance to go about 12 and 18, which would have been fantastic for us, uh, being really our first true year of beach volleyball. And considering you have three of the top 25 teams, you have three top 25ers in your conference that you have to play twice. So yeah, that would have been, that would have been a great result, dude. Yeah. I mean, in short, they had a very small program before I got there. They, They didn't do any recruiting, no scholarships, no beach only kids. And it was just, you know, almost like a pastime for some of these kids. And so this was the first year we're going to try to really bring it together was this season. And I had some kids who had returned, some kids who now knew our systems really well and were very invested in being great. Like I said, a few beach only kids this first year. And uh, so it was, it was, it was tough. It was really hard to lose this season because this was going to be when you're building a program the first couple of years, in my opinion, really need to build on top of each other, right? You need yeah, to be sure. That's, that's it. And we, I think we were going to be exponentially better than the season prior and, and really build on that. So it was on my birthday. It was on Friday, the day the world shut down. And uh, we kind of saw it coming. Kids had to be sent home from campus. And, um, you know, the, the campus closed for spring quarter. And that was it. So, yeah, I am. Um, I got to see as far as your the girls who wanted it in Santa Clara and, and who were who were all in and they brought into your sales pitch because you're a good salesman and a co- I mean that's what a coach is I'm not, I don't mean to call you that because it sounds cheap it's not but you're selling something that they're sure. buying I saw it at the WCC playoffs last year okay they didn't have a lot of you know height or this or that or you know weren't as polished but 
this you can coach effort to an, an, an extent, but there's also a large part of it that isn't that isn't that 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 the girls have to do on their own because they believe they have this belief system. They right. played to the maximum of their potential. Those girls were horizontal all the time. Sand dirty, transition, you know, fast break volleyball. They take a swing, they get a kill. Okay, they get a miss, you know, hits the, the top of the tape, bounces back. I really love this. The sample, however small, I saw a, a, the sm- a small sample size at the end of season that we both know as any any decent coach. And we're, 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 I speak for both of us. We're a little better than decent. Like I said, I'm going to do the tooting for both of us. Um, that was a foreshadowing of what was to come. And that's why I asked that question, because I knew I knew you guys like rounded the corner. Same thing with LMU. When I, uh, John, the first season was 6-13, and 13, right? You know, and I, I joined him and, and got to, to, to witness, participate, and, and do things to help turn, that turn around to, it was, it was 22 and 14 the next year. And then the year after that yeah. um, was, was WCCs. They they beat uh, Pepperdine. Came out of hell. Were, Came out of they hell. Were, yeah, they they really turned it around. John's always going to do a great job, and you know that's all you want to do when you first get in is get players that believe in you, believe in your system, have the first of all that you know the passion to be able to put in the work that they uh, have in their work ethic, and that that's kind of where we were. I'm glad you saw that last year. You know, I mean. Santa Clara before I got there really had never done anything at all, as I said. And we're typically like sixth or seventh in conference, close to last. And I think some of those other coaches saw something too, because we got voted in as preseason number four this year, nice. you know, without too many changes. So it, it's still an exciting time. We're still really stoked building towards the future. I didn't have any seniors, so they're all going to come back anyway. I'll have my entire team. Plus wow. I just got, five new beach only players coming in for this fall. Um, so our program's changing really, really fast. And we're really excited about the momentum that we can carry with that. Yeah. You know, I had a coach Brian McDermott on last episode, uh, Midwest guy, well, really an East coast guy to Midwest. And, um, we, we kind of shared a joke, like when you're on TV or someone's interviewing you, they usually have like a Instagram or a Twitter handle or, or like the title of your job, you know, head coach, you know, Dane, head coach USC or whatever. And we cracked up when we saw this. <laughs> <laughs> what do we call Jeff Alzina? Uh, coach on all, on every level. <laughs> that was, that's Josh Glazebrook. He just came up with that on his own. He just popped that up there that day from the AVP. It was, it was classic. It's like Joe Biden. This above, uh, this above all, where all men are created. Well, you, you know the thing. <laughs> all credit. You, you know the guy. <laughs> Yes, I, I definitely wanted to, to to plug that in, and I definitely wanted to let let everybody know the work the work you're doing out there. That I, again, a very small sample size, but um, like a casting director who knows who he wants to who he wants in his movie, I knew, you know, that like the audition is a minute and a half, but a casting director knows in 16 seconds. Me, I got to see you guys in the WCCs. That was the only sample size I needed to see to see that. Oh wow, okay, watch out for these people next year. You know, you think you're going to roll up on them, <laughs> you know, like the same thing with Pepperdine, right? The Pepperdine WCCs has been the Pepperdine Invitational until until yeah. LM, LMU won. That's what I called it, the Pepperdine Invitational. We come in, we house everybody, we go to the dance. And, um, you know, people like John and people like you, you know, sometimes sometimes good coaches have other plans, <laughs> you know? Yeah. yeah. Um, the, co- 
get better pretty quick too. There's a lot of momentum in our conference for beach. You know, it's mainly Northern California and uh, we're just a few years behind LA, three or four years behind LA as far as like momentum and organization of clubs and things like that. So I think Northern California is uh, very shortly will we'll be producing a lot of good players yeah. and programs in general. Yeah, it was your birthday and I'm sorry that happened. It's like, Jeff, happy birthday. Go home. Jesus Christ. You uh, know? Yeah. It was rough. It was rough. Well, if you know anything about me, you, you, I mean, if, I mean, we follow each other a little bit every year. My birthday is like this ridiculously long 11 day celebration. I got friends flying from New York, you know, from Midwest and we, we pick a spot every single night and you know, it's included, but not limited to karaoke. Cause that's how I rock. And this year I turned 50. So that was, that was this whole thing, uh, uh saddened the mood for me as well. But, um yeah but i got friends in low places that bought me 12 mikasas that made me happy nice. 12 friends bought me 12 mikasas for my private lesson so and that's the ball i, I want to play with because the margin for error right we both agree and we're back to volleyball the margin for error man on that jump serve and and the hit you miss that a little bit on you know in your technique that ball can luff balloon so that's the ball i wanted my kids to practice with <laughs> if you can master that ball you can do it all and you just I think Casey Patterson did this. <laughs> Look like a lion trying to, I don't know. <laughs> uh, so I want to take you back three years. Uh, you got Miles and Marcus Partain, um, the youngest team to qualify for the main draw. 15 years old, 17 years old. And for everybody listening at home, oh my God, why are you bringing up the Partains? Dude, your podcast sucks. What does one thing have to do with the other? I'll tell you what, dorks, because if you look under the umbrella, if you look under the umbrella, every time someone's succeeding, it is this man, Jeff Alzina, the James Brown of volleyball. Look under the umbrella. Okay, now I'm back. Jeff Alzina, <laughs> what was, not the main draw, but do you can you take me back a little bit in the qualifier? The tail end, you know, they they did have to take down some people like Marder. Uh, I think Matt Marder and um, are both Matts. And what were some of the things that they did well coming in? Whether it's just physically or whether it's just their mindset, you know, the, the muscles between their ears. What was one of the things that made you feel good coming in? Saying, you know, these kids have a shot at, at make, making the draw. Eighteen, right? It was uh, 2017. It was Hermosa Beach. No, eighteen. Whatever, whenever the first one was, it was it was the first Hermosa Beach back in like seven years. So, um, I thought it was seventeen. That's no, you're seven, probably, seventeen. Say, those guys are just total studs, Marcus. They're they're amazing. They've been growing up around volleyball their whole life. They had done as many different tournaments for juniors and youth as you could possibly do. They did camps, all that stuff. But they just had, even when they were like junior high, like really good hands so they could set the ball anywhere they wanted to, which made them better hitters. And they just love the game. They have really good eyes and they have really good IQ. And so despite their size, you know, when they were competing in that period, they were only probably six foot one, maybe barely six foot two. But um, they got the absolute most out of their size due to quality ball control, passing, just... quality hand setting, and then uh, using their eyes to move it around. And, to a very large extent, that's what our sport is. That's what drew me to beach volleyball more than indoor volleyball centuries ago when I was a kid was that I was smaller and it just didn't, you know, height didn't affect you as much on the beach. If you knew how to like find sand and move the ball around with your eyes and with your wrist, you know, you could still score against bigger, stronger 
athletes than yourself. And so Miles and Marcus just totally define that. They've been that way for a long time. They'll always be that way. You know, they're going to be setters in college. And um, <laughs> they have the cool <laughs> If you heard what they're offering. Oh, yeah. Sorry, got When they run those small sets and shoot sets and all those, those are all named after characters in Napoleon Dynamite. <laughs> yeah. Shut the front door. A, go, a Rex, a La Fonda, Kip. It's hysterical. I, when I met them and they told me that, I was like, I love you guys. So they, actually, let's let's take a look. I'm going to take a look at some of their highlights. Um, this is the draw match against Jeff Samuels and um, Michael Brunstein. So I'm going to let that roll for a little bit. Um, I, I was going back. The reason why I even brought it up, there was an episode of one of my old episodes. It was called Old Brother, Where Art Thou? It was Taylor and Trevor's first meeting. It was the winner's bracket. And then they met again in the finals. And then the brothers, Partain, went against Jeff Samuels, who was a brother <laughs> from another mother. So let's do that. Jump save. That Marcus. Jeff Samuels, high floater to the lefty. Like you said, just very simple plays, very um, um, highly technical, accurately executed. Watch too many. It was a loud one when you do that. And then all of a sudden, uh, Jeff, the crowd size has got bigger. Another ace. There was a really long rally. Now, for the people just watching at home or watching the video version of this, those are not benches in the back. That's the bathroom. People set huge chairs up in the bathroom. Look at it against the 20. Cut. Dig. Oh, he gave us the chop. There might be an argument after this. And this is when we thought the play was over. Sneaks up on him. Boom. So, the cool thing about that game, first of all, uh, for the people, again, for the people watching at home, those weren't benches. Those weren't elevated benches in the back. That's the where the bathroom is. Jeff, like in front of the Hotel Hermosa Beach, like uh, yeah. um, the beach house in Hermosa, that's the bathroom. People set up beach chairs on top of the bathroom. It was the most um, electric, uh, uh, galvanizing, um, non-center court game you're going to see in the AVP, you know? Yeah. Yeah, Jeff, Jeff got saved by the freeze. Yeah, I mean, those kids are entertaining. Everyone wants to root for the underdog. I mean, you got like a 16 and an 18-year-old kid, and then they're brothers, and then they're two of the nicest boys you'll ever meet in your entire life. They're so polite and so honest and loyal and just forthright and great students of the game. I mean, everyone just loves those kids. And so it was amazing that they had qualified into the draw, and they were so close to getting their first main draw win there. Like you said, they got to the freeze. and 14-11. Yeah, I knew like if it was going to be a 13-12, it would have been pretty hard to win. I mean, just to close it out and score real points, you know, service points down the stretch would have been hard at 13-12. So at 14-11, I was like, that might be enough buffer room for us. We only really have to score one more reel. It's true. But for those of you who don't know, you know, them being only about six foot two, the hardest thing for them to do was to score a blocking point or a, a hard dig point because they didn't have a big presence at the net. And at the they freeze, could, that is the way to, to go, right? Yeah, ace, ace so, or a block. Yeah. It just 
we called our timeouts. We stopped. We talked about everything possible as this other team just marched through the freeze. But they ended up winning at 16-14 and still got us. But, um, yeah, it was so cool to see that much local fan support at Hermosa Beach for those kids. Yeah, I, I really enjoyed it. And um, and I was actually getting to know you three years ago. And I'm like, there he goes again. I'll look under the umbrella. <laughs> Jeff Alzina. Um, you remember the Crabs' first meeting? Because I think you were Trevor, Trevor and Rosie's coach at the time, right? Uh, I coached Taylor and Trevor together first in 2015. And then all of the 2016 season. And, and then when they split, uh, Trevor picked up Rosie and I stayed with them. Yeah. Yeah, so you were on center court in that game. That was, that was fun. That was um, that was my coming out party because Schumerman. I thought Schumerman did like like a lazy introduction, and then I did my own version of the introduction on the video, and then everybody turned around and like, is where's this gonna be? And I'm like, I'll show you. <laughs> you know, so so yeah. big up to Schumerman though. Schumerman, when if you've ever heard him do color commentary, he was doing a little bit for the qualifier uh, for the live stream. He sounds like he's fighting crime. <laughs> you, you know he's like here he comes to save the day <laughs> kill the bad guy save the girl the world for democracy <laughs> you know so, <laughs> yeah um pretty pretty cool so um here's another question one of those i have to ask it or i'm not doing my job at one point in your coaching career i'll put it this way was there a, a tournament a match or a defining moment where you left telling yourself, I'm going to be a career coach. This is, this is, this, I'm, you know what? Yeah. I, I'm, I'm yeah. probably going to make a go at this. Uh, um, this is going to be my living. I'm not waiting fucking tables. This, this is where I want to be. I just, and there go my sponsors, but go ahead. <laughs> well, yeah, there's actually two parts to that. That's a great question. There's two parts because my dad was a coach his whole life. He was a basketball coach. I thought I might get into basketball when I was, I was played all through high school, but then started in volleyball in late high school and college. And after college was playing beach and there wasn't such thing as beach volleyball coaching in 1997, really. I mean, I think there was about seven or eight coaches in the whole world. Um, a couple here in California and a, you know, a couple in Brazil and, um, and a couple in Europe. But, um, I was able to meet someone through a, a common ex-partner of ours uh, who had been coaching the Australians. He has Steve Anderson, who's now coached with Ca the Canadian national teams and programs, probably the director, I believe now. Um, he had worked with Natalie Cook and Carrie Potharst um, just very informally in the early 90s when they um, stunned the American team and beat them in Atlanta uh, to secure the bronze. So Steve had tried to start getting opportunities for other people to coach around the world to help do this for, for uh, beach volleyball and grow this profession. And um, anyway, he helped me get uh, a job in Greece. And that was my very first real beach coaching job. I coached tons of juniors. I'd been playing and training with lots of high-level AVP players. And that's just kind of what they wanted. They wanted someone who would work with youth but had been involved with a major tour like the AVP. And so anyway, I went over to Greece and started working there. And when I, when I, I left a teaching job, I'd been teaching for five years and I said, I'm done. I know this is what I want to do. I want to get into coaching. And if I can make it in the sport that I really truly love the most, this would be great. And so I was able to move over there to Greece, help 
basically take kids off the national teams and the junior national teams, the senior national teams, and see if we can create some good beach programs with a seven-year plan towards 2004. And the two ladies who I pulled off the indoor national team had played a little bit of beach together, but we made them full-time players and they qualified in 12 months into the Sydney Olympic games. So they had just tremendous success. It was one of those situations where they were really, really talented, but just didn't have like focus and direction and like someone full-time coaching them. And, um, so when they qualified in those immediate games, just like 12 months into my, my career, I was like, I just qualified a team in the Olympic Games. So that event, thanks to their, their talents, basically made me say, I think I can do this. I think I can really like do this for a long time. Um, but flash forward, after Sydney, I decided I didn't want to return back to Greece. I wanted to see if I could do this at home. And so coming home back to L.A., and getting hired by Elaine Young's, Barbara Fontana, Kevin Wong and Stein Metzger right off the bat. That's kind of when I knew when both those teams won the Manhattan Open for their first time as a team with me in 2001. And that's when basically Manhattan 2001, I was like, I can do this. Let's do this. Let's, I'm going to do this as long as I can and try and create a true profession out of beach volleyball coaching. Yeah. I, I, I have a crazy, uh, like um, an almost similar indoor story. I got hired as a blocking coach for a very small school in Brooklyn called City Tech, New York City College of Technology. Uh, the person building the program is Chi, Chi DiMaggio. She, I don't know um, how far back you go or, or, or if you got hoes in different area codes or whatever. Um, she's, she's pretty popular in the indoor and outdoor scene. Just this skinny arm girl set for Tulane. Um, played with Camilla uh, for a while. Camilla was very popular nationwide back in the 90s. Um, I had to build this program from scratch. No club team. <laughs> in fact, 10 minutes before the first match, uh, our, guy, our, our middle register for classes. <laughs> so, it was, so it was one of those things where she never coached men before. And she was giving up a mile of line on some of these in-system sets where, you know, in the women's game, you can kind of get away with that because the twitch reaction and women are just general, inherently better diggers and passers than men. But um, I, I, I played in Europe, in Darmstadt, Germany, and, I, and we brought a style of blocking, like the style of swing blocking, how to fill the holes, how to step out back in, and, and just different techniques. And I had dinner with her, and because we lost to a team that we had no business losing to, Lehman College. Uh, short Dominican guys, all like Elvis Rodriguez. They're like a bunch of little Elvises with like heavy, heavy hands. You, have you ever seen Elvis play? He's got like, yeah. it's almost like he hits with a brick in his hand, or David Jack. Right. Like one of the, and right. he, and basically anyone from Creole except short. Um, and then I had to have dinner where I said, you can't, we, she's like, why did we lose to this team? Okay, fine. I'll put my ego aside. Tell me why we lost to this team. And I was like, because we can't, you, first of all, we got to, we got to know the hitter, right? You got to watch video on hitters tendencies, but on a general thing, on a general basis, if, if we know where they're going, you don't give them shit. We don't, you don't, you don't let them hit anywhere. Okay. So, um, after that season, she's like, you, you, you're a coach. <laughs> Dude, you're, take take this team. You're a coach. So the next year, we were associate head coaches. We balanced the time because she didn't want to go to the meetings. And and for me, I'm, I'm a New York guy, so I knew everybody. And then the next year, I ended up heading up the program. But that was that was my defining moment when I had a, t a talk with somebody who forgot more volleyball than I'll ever know, and was like, "Tell me, tell me, tell me what to do." 
tell me what I'm doing wrong. Tell me why we're losing these games. I'm like, we're losing these games because we're building a program that didn't have a club team. Okay. I mean, how, what else did you think it was going to happen? But, um, but that was my, my like coaching defining moment, you know, helped out Baruch a little bit, Justin Stack, well-respected guy on the East coast city, city college had to rebuild their program. Hunter high school taught smart, smart kids how to play volleyball and then moved out here. Moved out here, you know, just worked with John, um, worked with some awfully uh, Duncan Avery, you know, just on on small and big scales. It was it was great. So that was my my, my defining moment. But, but yours was like fucking Olympics. I'm like, cool, man. <laughs> I've always wanted to hear that story. I've always wanted to hear that story because I knew I knew about some of it. But, you know, there's nothing like hearing it from excuse me. There's nothing like hearing it from the horse's mouth, you know, a little bit of the right place at the right time with a lot of opportunity. So I just tried to make the most of it. And when I came back to the, to, to LA and uh, they, it was just great to see the AVP, you know, it was bought by Leonard at that point and he was resurrecting it. And so there was a lot more opportunity. Plus that was the first time that they had had the men and women on tour together. So we knew it was going to be successful and it was really fun riding that rise of bringing the AVP back and, and then being able to um, have some early success and, and then, get aligned with a lot of really good teams over those years. Yeah. How old's your kid? My child is almost six. End of the month, she'll be six now. You know what? I'm going to start calling mine a child. She's three now. <laughs> so yeah. it come, becomes the baby to the kid to the child. <laughs> cool. So you, you balance your time okay with that? I'm, I'm getting all personal now. It's been rough. COVID has been tough. My wife works full time and me coaching both indoor and beach at Santa Clara is very, very busy. And so having, as you know, a child at home with two parents trying to work is it's a really tough balance. I mean, it really makes you um, appreciate the, the role of teachers and how patient they can be, how organized they can be and how great they are at maintaining growth of your child year after year after year. So, yeah, we've, we've been pretty fortunate to that we can both work from home, that we do still have jobs at this time, which yeah. is kind of first and foremost. But yeah, the scheduling is is a, and a nice juggle for sure. I can't imagine like Aaron Mansfield, right? He has one. Um, and last year I talked to him when he had another one on the way, you know, and this is all, I mean, that kid, child, um, has probably is one plus the like the youngest one's probably just just one past one one years old so you know i, I always look at like fathers volleyball fathers and who who may may or may not have a nanny who finds a way to balance this time me dude i'm lucky enough to have a nanny you know i, I um i have some uh, i have some money put away for a rainy day you know i worked in uh cardio vo volleyball is a moonlighting thing be before it became my career i was in cardiology i was in a cardiology practice for 17 years before i did this and you know, and my girl's in finance, so, you know, she's with a capital group, so she gets to work at night uh, or get to work. Sorry, get to work at home um, because, yeah. yeah, so so but it's for me, it's been fun because now I get to spend more time at home with her. I thought you can really look your child six years old. You can really if you're not careful, like, like that, that whole childhood can pass you by and you're like, yeah. damn, you're telling me I miss that. You know, she's, she's what? She's six, <laughs> you know, but good, good for you. Good for you. I mean, I was, I got a little personal, but it wasn't me testing the water. It was just doing a, a father, a volleyball father comparison between some of the other volleyball dads who have ch uh, children um, of similar age, you know, like basically six years old and under, right? Stafford Slick, 
right? I think his kid's probably like three and a half, maybe close to four. Uh, Tim Baumgren, that little round-headed yeah. thing, that little round-headed, uh, 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 just baby boom-looking thing. You know, he makes me like kids. I never like kids. I st- still don't like kids, <laughs> you know? But you look at Tim's kid, you're like, wait, I like kids. <laughs> Jeff was like, we always like kids when they're not our own. <laughs> oh, easy. Yeah. So- yeah. AVP, I have kids at home. It's like, it's, it was great to be able to have the AVP be able to provide for these guys and to be able to earn some money this summer when nobody else could compete. Um, when was the first time you've taken AVP center court, albeit as a coach or maybe a player or whatever? Uh, as a coach would have come first. It was 2001. I, I don't move. Coaching with Stein and Kevin was awesome. They hired me about halfway through season. Um, so it would have been even before that would have been with Barbara Fontana and Elaine Youngs. Okay. They, gosh, I should know the first event that they won that year besides Manhattan because I know they won before Manhattan as well. Well, they, they won in France. We were in Marseille together on the FIVB. Um, and we lost, I believe, Hermosa that year. But center court, there's nothing like center court. And there's really nothing like Manhattan Beach center court. It's 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 it electric. It doesn't feel real. True. I mean, I was only 33 years old at that time coaching, you know, Barb, who was my age, Elaine, that was my age. Kevin and Stein were just a couple years behind. I was almost more of a peer. But um, it was just a real privilege to be able to work with them. And and especially for Stein and, and Kevin, because they had been close. They had not made finals together the year prior, but they had taken like some fifths and they were just knocking on the door. It, it felt a little bit like where Try and Trevor are right now. Where like, you know you're good and you know you're really close to being able to get in that final and or win. And, um, you know, we just made a few tweaks that summer with video and then out of practice. And next thing you know, they won Manhattan, then they won Santa Barbara, and they won Stad against the Swiss on center court on the FIVB. So they just exploded. <laughs> on fire wow dude so before i tell you before i tell you my first center court one um it's very interesting because you you told the story about stein picking you up in the middle of the season as a coach or whatever and this and that uh last year uh earl schultz got the big afro avp uh you probably see in the qualifier he looks like lenny kravitz um him and jake Jake Garudia, Jersey guy, we call him Jersey Jake. They come up to me and they're like, Jason, you know, you you commentate, you see, and you worked, you know, you worked with great players. I worked with Mario Trebich, coach from the Netherlands, uh, 92 and 96 or whatever. Uh, not worked with him, but done camps for him. Um, what They're like, how do you get into the draw? Like Earl's tried seven times, Jake has tried eight or nine times. And I'm like, come here, it's a secret. And they lean and I'm like, closer, closer, get a coach. And they they just struck son. I'm like you you I'm like you young fuckers. You 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 get so good so fast, and you um, and you figure out things so fast. You think you have it all figured out. You need a coach, and everybody that's made it to the draw, but whether at the bottom of the draw and, and climbed up, have always in, invested their time or whatever in just fresh eyes. The coach doesn't even have to have more experience than you, but even though a younger guy, you do, right? Like Phil, like you look at Phil and Jason Lockett. I don't think one has more experience than the other. It's just, it's just fresh eyes, right? So yeah. So they're yeah. like, um, so maybe you should coach us, and I'm just like, 
why didn't you just say so? Why did, why are you gonna ask me what I gotta do? This you know, just just ask if you want me to coach and don't come at, don't come at me with this what I gotta do, whatever. So Hermosa Beach, um, I got him in the draw. That was last year. So it was really cool because I've always done some coaching for Rafu, uh, like analytics, numbers, pull charts, uh, but he's already in the draw. So for me, it was really cool to punch my own ticket. There's something redeeming about not being given it because you're a South Bay guy because you know people and you kind of punch your own ticket. You feel like less of an imposter in a tent. But that wasn't my first time on center court. <laughs> my first time, Jeff, on center court. AVP New York, lip sync battle. <laughs> lip sync battle. It was insane. It was, where is it? This, this nonsense right here. This is me. This is me. The first time on center court. <laughs> just lip syncing yes look oh. so then i i and when the chorus comes uh it's montel jordan is this how we this is how we do it i'm dip dipping mark schumerman so so basically uh stay with it like five more seconds uh the chant this is how we do it the entire place is getting up So I go this way and I'm all the buzz and it's all because now the whole crowd is saying this is how we do it. <laughs> this is insane. This made like a little section on the Daily News. They're like, you know, Brooklyn, Brooklyn kid or New York Upper West Side kid, you know, to wins lip sync battle. I'm like, you got Kevin Patterson in the finals and you're doing news on this guy winning a lip sync battle. <laughs> I just wanted to share that from since this is a podcast, this ain't like an interview, right? Um, yeah, I, I mean, you're here voluntarily, right? I don't, I don't have the power of subpoena, um, so, so I just wanted to share, uh, share. We share our center court moments, which we both concede are inherently different. <laughs> um, this whole um, getting back in, watching other sports um find the ken okay there's there's there are people there are can't people and there are people who are, are ken people so i'm gonna get into a little covid thing there the um, at the more educated we we, we we become on how covid's getting and, and ways to prevent it the more we know what certain risks are and the more we assume the risk for example um dana white ufc right um, the fighters have eight-week training camps. They're secluded anyway. Uh, so within three weeks, you know if someone's positive. <laughs> if not, you know, asymptomatic and riding it. Um, everyone else has masks except the fighters and the ref. Post-match post interviews in a different room. So they found a way to continue their sport. Um, to continue their sport through this era. Tennis, yeah. right? Guys on rackets, opposite sides of the court referee in a high chair, the commentating no team literally in a bunker, <laughs> not figuratively, okay? Think about it, right? A bomb hits, right? <laughs> Tennis player's dead, ref blown off his high chair. Commentators, peachy keen, eating carrots. So 
do you see similarities as far as uh, for beach volleyball? Because we ain't talking about indoor. It's just like indoor feels like a zombie apocalypse, you know, in this climate. So can you tell me if you see ways or see people working on ways to make beach volleyball happen? Well, uh, all of our efforts right now are going towards the fall and indoor. And I know it is a zombie apocalypse. It's crazy with that. I just think you're going to see a, a big rise in participation for beach volleyball because of being able to play outside because this being in a gym with some, uh, larger numbers of people. I don't know. I mean, it's just, it's going to be an inherent risk for a while with us. I mean, there's, we're right on the verge of uh, so many conferences deciding if they're either going to just dismiss the fall or move that to spring and uh, kind of preclude some other sports in the spring. But um I don't know. Beaches seem to be not a problem. The AVP just did showed us how you do it, right? You, you can go through only essential staff, wearing masks, uh, testing, continual testing and symptom checks and stay in your pods, you know, and, and isolate and be in your, your teams or your pods that don't interact with outside those pods and you can do it. So I'm hoping for sure that spring will pop for NCAA beach. And I mean, there was definitely a little bit of a buzz around the AVP of like, Hey, maybe we can try and do this again somewhere down the road if we can't have a full schedule because just being outdoors and the nature of the spacing is a heck of a lot safer than what's probably going to happen with a lot of indoor sports, especially for NCAA. Yeah. I mean, look, the NBA has shown a way to do it, but that's extremely expensive. I get that. Right, okay. They, the they created the bubble Disney world. Good for them. And for me, like, Everybody is citing as a pretext what's essential and what's not essential as far as not doing sports is concerned. And my biggest argument is I think your mental and your psychological health is, is considered an essential. We always, okay, physical safety, you don't want to get the, the virus, stay home, cool. Because there's no law that's making saints telling people you have to leave your house. I mean, there's certain people, maybe that you know, they, they have a job to do and they have to work. I get that too. But I think... Like people like sports are an essential and I couldn't disagree more. I think for your mental health and for your peace of mind, you when cope sooner or later, this is going to be done. Okay. This is going to blow over, but people have to make sure they come out of this uh, without COVID PTSD. You know, I mean, clearly marriages are more secure now. And you know, if you really love your wife <laughs> more than never, man, this is for me, I already knew. I mean, I got, be jealous at home, boys. I'm, I got the great love affair with, with with me and Kelly. And I could tell stories about that all day. I ain't going to. But for me, sports is an essential. Sports is an essential for people's um, um, emotional upliftment. I'm just playing with words here, thinking out loud. It's, um, I'll give you an example I gave on my last episode, 9-11. When 9-11 hits, sports shut down. And then what happened was the when baseball picked up, New York Yankees made the playoffs. Got lucky, got good. You know, the Oakland A's game, Derek Jeter, the, the play he had no business being, being, being at the, you know, he's at the scene of the crime, makes that play. They end up going all the way to the World Series. And then an entire city is inspired. An entire city has this form of escapism where they feel good about themselves because they felt good about their team. They eventually, you would have thought they won the World Series. They didn't. They lost to the Diamondbacks in, in heartbreaking fashion. Mariana Rivera on a bases loaded, you know, like a bloop, just hit the bat bloop single. That's how the Diamondbacks won, you know. Um, let's not forget Randy Johnson and, and Schilling. 
who's like the biggest Yankee killer. But the point I was trying to make, and I wasn't comparing 9-11 to COVID because 9-11, they didn't have a choice. They got hit. People died, okay? This, people are dying because of stupid choices. You and me can get political ad nauseum. And probably we're probably, we see eye to eye on, on a ton. But that's that wasn't the point I was trying to make. I was trying to make a point of how sports you, and, and, and people playing and inspires people um, psychologically, makes them feel good mentally. And uh, these people who are performing for our sakes, I consider an essential for that reason. Mm. Fl floor is yours. <laughs> He's like, thanks a lot, Jay. <laughs> a lot. Do I go back to the part about your love affair or about Randy Johnson? <laughs> Where, where do I start with all that? Oh man. Well, maybe just common denominator. Is is sports considered an essential to you? I don't know if it's an essential. I will totally agree that it brings people together, families together. It has the potential to bring cities together, nations together, even at times, even if it is sometimes on a superficial level, it can run deeper than that. I mean, that's why there's rivalries. That's why there's fan clubs, right? I mean, that's why there's, you know, billion dollar industries based around professional sports. Um, so I don't know, you know, the collegiate atmosphere is a little bit different. I think I, I would not describe them as essential, but they are an integral part. Um, I mean, it's really sad to see what happened with Stanford losing 11 sports and especially a sport like men's volleyball that has uh, inexcusable ends underneath them. Uh, but that's the question right now, right? Is, is really, is, are, are they essential? Essential is too strong a word for me. It's, they're important. They're integral. They can create bonds. They can create um, all sorts of things. They can create fundraising for the university. They can create, you know, excitement around a university. They can create a much larger student or student athlete experience by participating or even viewing the sports that you have on your campus. But I mean, right now we just can't mess around with it at all. I mean, we're going to see if there's a way to do this safely or not. You know, our, That's right. our indoor team on campus last week quarantining and we have report date of Monday for double days. Um, our soccer team is on campus right now and has been for two or three weeks and they, um, they've done the same thing. They have no positive tests so far. Um, they look good. And the way that we have it set up, you know, where the students can be in certain dormitories and with certain people at certain times and all of the protocols that go on with testing and preparation, things like that within the workouts and the support staff, I, we'll see. It looks like it can be done, but you never know until you know, right? Because there has to really be like a zero tolerance. If anybody mm -hmm. breaks, you know, protocol and, and infects themselves, then they're going to bring that back to the whole team, possibly unknowingly. So I, it's going to be really, really interesting to see how it works out this fall, especially with football and especially with indoor uh, volleyball. Football, um, I don't even see how. I mean... That, they're just gonna i mean there's not enough um sample sizes like you you can't you i, I wouldn't ask a football coach or a, pro, or a conference to look at the ufc it's just different it's minimal competitors right beach volleyball minimal competitors and and and, and outdoor right. tennis in and whether tennis plays indoor or outdoor it's minimal competitors uh this this coach i was talking to brian mcdermott chicago um they have an indoor sand team but it's minimal competitors they're not doing 40 person courts anymore they're doing smaller groups pers more personal attention so right. you're right and individual responsibility is so important in a sense that if we don't behave like adults the government will treat us like children 
Absolutely. Yeah. Same thing with teams. With what? Yeah. We're going to look same thing within a team, right? Yeah. I mean, if uh, someone on the team can't be an adult and commit to the program, then, you know, I think programs are say, well, you can opt out. You don't have to be here. But if I think people's why for playing sports right now, especially uh, NCAA sports, their why is going to have to be very, very strong because it's going to be a lot more difficult to maintain the commitment throughout all of these protocols and procedures that are going to be happening. So, uh, you know, I don't know. I, mean, I, I hope that's crazy. Yeah. They're will opt out and not endanger anybody else. Like, I mean, it's hard enough um, answering the why without COVID. Right. I mean, some of these girls, they go to college and they're like, I don't think I want this to be my 12 month experience. <laughs> you yeah. know, like my, my, my girl went to Harvard. Right. She's there to play tennis and volleyball. But to her credit, I mean, sometimes we don't know till we get there, but to her credit, she knew right away, nope, this ain't going to be, this ain't going to be my, I'm in a school of economics, this ain't going to be my, my my 12 month experience. I got stuff to do and I still need to live. I still need, I still need my sanity, which is, which is essential. And I think the reason why I called it an essential, an, an essential is because of the reality, the realities we face. All right. One reality is if you stay home, you social distance, you avoid it. It, it does taper down the, the test, the test, the, um, um, the, the positive tests go down. That's a reality. The other reality is we're not going to hide behind a door until a vaccine comes. A va- I, I have Kathy Parent. Um, she, she, her company is the one that vets vaccines for, for the FDA and helps prepare, you know, medications to be cleared or run through for the FDA. She's a, she's 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 into medical laboratory sciences. That's not what she does for her job, but she's a true lab rat. She's her MS isn't that. So and she said there's a reality like it's going to be a year and a half and that's for one strain. This and said, there's three strains that they know about. And there's a year and a half that's a vaccine coming uh sorry, a year and two months uh for for one of the strains. So that's also a reality. Right. People, uh, regardless of if you're this red blooded American, I'm American. I, 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 I'm, I should be free to do whatever I want to do. You know, there, there, there's I'm categorizing people. Then there's people like, you know what? I can work at home. I'm going to stay at home. <laughs> I'm just my roof is just going to be my new volleyball court. Um, and if, and if someone has that luxury, good for them. But the reality is and we both know this, then not we're not going to hide behind a door. We're not going to hide behind a door until a vaccine comes. So this is why I asked that question. This is the this is when um, something that's important is might turn into an essential if if this if this goes on for a year, you know, and we can find out how to do it. We're going to learn so much in the next probably six weeks. You know, oof. that's when the quarters start, the semester schools will start even before that. And uh, we'll, we'll we'll be seeing we'll be watching and a lot of places are doing it differently. You know, whether they're going to travel or not travel or play everything at home or half at home and away, travel in only pods. I mean, there's going to be a lot of different ways that people are going to try and execute this safely. Um, and one of those ways is maybe even not not playing. You know, some schools will probably decide not to play. Yeah, We'll learn a lot this fall. And uh, if we're in this boat for a while before there is a vaccine that will take care of everybody, then um, we're going to have a lot of choices on how to go about it after we do a little bit of trial and error for the next 10 weeks yeah what and me again i don't want to get political and i'm not um i'm i'm gonna go just humanitarian if the government of the united states is paid to our tax dollars are paid to protect us from these viruses entering the country why the hell should we have to pay for the vaccine (laughs) 
<laughs> we so we paid for protection, but now, and then they didn't protect us. Now we have to pay for their mistakes. I think there are people who who um. I mean, everyone's like, oh, everyone can afford a vaccine. There are people that can't even afford to take their driver's test. They can't even, you know, some people can't even afford to get their, you know, their 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 renewal. <laughs> 38 bucks, oh, you know, that's, I don't know, man. That's 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 a meal for Saturday and Sunday for me and maybe my significant other. So um, I'm not one of these guys looking out for free stuff, but I am, if we're going to hold people accountable, because this present government in the United States, I don't care if you're a Trump guy. I don't care if you're a Biden guy. I don't care if you you like the guy with the toupee. I don't care if you like the guy coming in the November on a dementia drumstick and saying even he's better than Trump. Right now, we this is ha- there is no doubt in my mind that this spike happened in the United States because of the negligence of 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 the people that were that are paid to protect us. Okay, I don't care where that goes in the chain of command, and I, I guess I'm getting emotional now because I don't think that people should have to pay for this vaccine when it comes. That's all I was trying to say. I don't even know where that came from, Jeff. Jesus, I'm <laughs> but it's a reality, right? I mean, there's no way you can't talk about one without talking about the other it's 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 you know i'm not getting jason oliver on anybody but but you 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 really get it, it has to be said so um aaron wexler uh was this is the reason why i was looking this way aaron wexler said jeff alzine is the man knowledge wisdom insight for days appreciate jay for sharing this conversation hans Groot said great co- uh, commentary coming from court two better than court one imo meaning in my opinion <laughs> Uh, all right. Love and the feedback on court too, man. We yeah. love to keep working together. That was really, really, it was fun. And like I said, I mean, really, really humbled by the feedback. Mm-hmm. I've had good feedback on, you know, the last several years when I've done some telecasts, but this was different. Something about it was different. I don't know if people are just more at home, more tuned in. The fact that it was just three events on top of each other or the fact that Maddie and I combined to, to pitch it that way. But it was really cool. I mean, I get some really, really like, heartfelt letters of like, Hey, I'm watching with my daughter and we're learning the game as we listen. You know, I had another coach write me people I've never heard of, you know, uh, sending me messages either through the university or, um, or on social media saying, Hey, I just learned so much about what I'm going to do with my beach team right now. We need to try these things or we need to read these type of ways. And he's like, you're just providing content for me right now to coach this fall. So that's really, really cool. It's really nice that people took their time to reach out and and express that. And so we're we're making sure that that gets back to Amazon so that they can see what uh, some of the people think, what their audience thinks. They asked for that and and, uh, we'll see if we can give them more. Yeah, I'd like to answer that threefold first. When you're in there and you're in your groove and you got your rhythm, there is this feeling where you feel it and you know it. You're like, I think some, I think we just did something good. And then afterwards comes this feedback. Like at Pepperdine, I was just being Jason. You know, I was like, oh my God, this this team's getting more opportunities than Lindsay Lohan in court. You know, I just I just like say funny stuff sometimes, and then someone taps me on the shoulder. My friend's watching from Wisconsin, and she said, they're like, keep doing what you're doing. They're cracking up right now. So, but you always have this feeling like when you're in your groove, like when the game's over, uh, or what whatever uh, game or match or just day, um, you're like, I think. I think I did well. And then right after you do that, someone follows up, someone taps you on the shoulder, someone sends you a message. You're like, okay, cool. I kind of felt it. I knew it. And it is what it is. Second thing is coaching. You show people that coaching is a lifelong 
learning experience. Very similar to theater performing and performance and film acting. You can be 82 years old and still learn something new. And the people that are messaging you are not there. Some of them are new and some of them want to get better. But but a lot of them are like, dude, I've been doing this for 20 years. And I was just I watched one match and I and I was just in the head of a genius. You know, that's that's that's, you know, maybe an exaggeration, but to some that was a reality. So that was the the was that my second point cuz I don't even think I have a third anymore. Okay. If, I, if I got the third point. Um no, but it's a lifelong learning experience. Lauren Bacall, who was a patient at my office, told me that and and I believe her. She's one of the people that inspired me to get into acting. Her um um who the hell is this? Anna Strasberg, Lee's wife. Um, you know, I got to talk to a lot of them. My boss was the doctor of the star. So they come in and they're like, Hey, how's school? Cause I went to Marymount Manhattan. My BFA is in acting, Jeff. So they're yeah. like, how's school? You know, what, what play are you in? Or this or that. So, Hey, be very careful. Oh, Hey, read this paper on, on Harold Clerman. We, he was like one of the best directors from the group theater. So lifelong learning experience. There are people that have been doing this as long as you and some longer that learned something. You, uh, uh your volleyball IQ up many considered through the roof. You pick up, you'll pick up something tomorrow. Cool. I, um, I, I want to, you know, I want to see if that's going to work for me or not, you know, and that's, which leads me to my third thing. Studies are important about biomechanics. Studies about how the body works and how it applies to volleyball is important. But at the end of the day, trusting yourself works. I told Dane, the real scientist are the coach. The coaches, the real scientists, the ones who are doing the drills and the ones that are seeing what works and what doesn't uh, uh, for, for uh, albeit female team, men, the, the sample size, the, 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 the amount of time you're doing this, um, trusting yourself, uh, uh, those things like the, stu- the scientific studies and just, and just you uh, as a coach don't operate independently, but they sure as hell don't um, live. You don't enjoy success without both. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, I, I got, I got so lucky getting that job with Greece because I felt like I got that close to that 10,000 hours as a scientist, you know, being able to develop a program that had a seven year launch window. I didn't need to be great right away, but some of the things hit and were great right away, but I made lots of mistakes those first couple of years and things I would probably never do again. And drills, I would go like, ah, that doesn't work anymore. And that's not pertinent. And that's taking them down the wrong path. But so that was a huge blessing and opportunity for me. And then getting to go apply that after three years of being there, apply that with some of the best teams. That's when I started going, well, a lot of this stuff does work and we'll keep building off of that. But after going to the Olympics in 2004, I, just was even hungrier. I was just like, wait a minute. Now I've been at two Olympic games and I've seen some teams that like were great fall apart and some very uh, mid-level teams that had never won before, won an event before winning the Olympics or getting, you know, and that was Dane and Eric. Um, There was just these all sorts of uh, parody within one event. And so as you're saying and pointing out about biomechanics and studying further, that inspired me to go back to school. And so I went to Long Beach State and got my, uh, master's that was your degree. master's, right? Yeah. But one of the most important classes, I think, for coaches in general is just taking some motor learning classes. I got to take two hands-on motor learning courses within that master's program. And gosh, that, I just remember being in those classes thinking like, if I would have had this earlier, if I could have learned this earlier, I really just want to get this out and just encourage any coach that's out there to really try to read up on the quality, highest quality level of research you can. Um, with motor learning because it can really help you coach a lot. Yeah. Like Kanye West said, if I would have slowed down, if I knew what I know now. <laughs> yeah. 
that's from the, the his song go hard uh, um now i'm at the top ain't nowhere to go now instead of me she gonna go down maybe i would have slowed down if i knew what i know now <laughs> and god that's such a coach's um uh, that that we we say that to ourselves all the time, you know. And I only asked you that question so you can use the word scientist. I knew once the word scientist came out of your mouth, I could have this picture in my head of you in the lab with test tubes and shit. You know, you already got the beard. You already got the teacher's beard going. So I did that just to coerce you into to saying the word scientist. And and now we can close up shop. I got what I wanted. <laughs> Hey, hey, listen, great episode because uh, sometimes I like to talk about stuff outside of volleyball. Um, you know, I don't know, maybe Joe Rogan's dog beating up nine coyotes or something. You know, sometimes I drive us both off the cliff like that. But really, dude, really good job keeping it about volleyball because it is this short time frame and the people who, who are interested in, in you um, as a person, which is very interesting too, are really, really, you know, really interested in that knowledge and i thought we did i thought we did a good job just sharing stuff like that so you know true true volleyball episode for episode 49 appreciate this always i really appreciate you let me uh talk a little bit more volley and share with what some of the stuff that i've learned god and and it's just so much fun i mean it's fun just what we talked about and just the stories are fun because the stories the stories make the, a lot of the people can relate to jeff a lot of people they i can I had Dane on the show, okay? I had a Brian McDermott. I had Casey Jennings. Casey Jennings has a, a very interesting story that, that leads to what he is, you know, and just the rejection and just the hard work. And it really explains who, what kind, why he is the way he is, right? Okay. Like the man's hard work, um, he made it. And there's a mentality about him like, I did it, I made it, why can't you? You know, and then, and that makes him flawed in some ways, but it also makes you... Uh, show huge profound respect for somebody you know who did who i mean now it looks like he's easy it, the, everything comes easy to him it didn't i, I listened to that he's guy's story did not right he's a for sure yeah dude man if there's any definition if there's any you know like people disagree oh you didn't you didn't do that alone you didn't do that alone but there there are levels to that and there there is some stuff you have to do by yourself to get to where you got to go and i had him on the podcast he was episode eight or something like that as you could see my sight and sound got uh, got significantly better but uh yeah man so coaches like him uh players like him coaches like you um coaches like um, Chris Austin, young, beautiful mind. He's not hurt. He's not talked about enough, in my opinion. Two-time NCAA champ in his mid-20s, writing books and just betting on himself and winning. Talk about self-made. No, very self-made man. Very yeah. motivated, very mm -hmm. bright, very driven. Sharing the knowledge. Let me tell you, you guys are infinitely different in coaching philosophies and, and the way you approach people. But the one thing you have in common that will always have my respect is, let's just put it this way. If you get to the penthouse you go back to the elevator and you push lobby send the motherfucker back down you know so that's what the two of you have in common you 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 make it to the penthouse and you press lobby mad respect and that's how it. i want in i want i didn't feel right about ending the other way so we're gonna hit my music in a minute so stay stay on after the episode a little bit after the music 
Um, okay. But for now, for everybody else listening, for all of you at home on your desktop, who runs the world? Old school, old school. For all of you people on your iPhones, waiting at Starbucks, social distancing, watching us. For all of you in your iPads, got one that looks like this. For everybody, I for Jeff Alzina, this is episode 49 of the Option Podcast. And we both say, so long, we're out. Come check out the Option Podcast on optiondb.com. It's also available on iTunes and Spotify and on YouTube under the NY Varsity Sports Handle. You're going to love what you hear.